You're listening to So What? The podcast that explores why library and information science research matters. We interview researchers about their work. And they connect the dots between what they do and its importance to your life. Okay, let's get on it. Nothing about us without us. That is our call in the disabled community. Persons with disability, you know, the expectations are are low to none. We have to get ourselves out there and get ourselves known. Being disabled does not mean being powerless. The possibilities are limitless. Quality of life, opportunities, and employment and education, I mean, it's, it's, it's boundless. The barriers are no longer on the person. The barriers for participation are actually on the environment, on the attitudes, and how the system is designed. I look forward to the day when advocacy for persons with disabilities is not needed anymore because it's understood. That promotion piece from the International Committee of the Red Cross was created to celebrate the 10th anniversary of the UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. An important outcome of that convention has been the mainstream of the idea of inclusive design. The Inclusive Design Research Center, otherwise known as the IDRC, is part of OCAD University in Toronto and it has been a leading innovator in this field for 25 years. This is our formal mission statement from our homepage. That's Alan Harnum. More about him in a minute. It's an international community of open-source developers, designers, researchers, advocates, and volunteers work together to ensure that emerging information technology and practices are designed inclusively. I'm Mike Ridley, a PhD student at the Faculty of Information and Media Studies at Western University. Recently, I spoke with Alan Harnum, about the IDRC, about the work they do, and equally important, how they do that work. In the course of the conversation, we touched on a number of ideas and issues about software design. My name is Alan Harnum, and I am a senior inclusive developer at the Inclusive Design Research Center at OCAD University. Prior to that, I worked for Toronto Public Library for a decade, starting out as a public service librarian and then moving for the last six years into working for the library's web services group. I have worked at the Inclusive Design Research Center for just over three years now and primarily what my job description says I do is that I'm a software developer. Day to day I do a lot of things alongside that as you tend to do in small research groups. I have been developing software for about 20 years now in terms of when somebody first paid me money to do software development. Um, And I've been developing software with an eye on accessibility for just about as long as that. Initially, I asked Alan about the 25-year history of the center. What accounts for the longevity and success of the IDRC? I mean, I guess, first of all, I mean, we do really good work. That, (laughs) That I think is like we've, we've, made substantial contributions in those 25, and I'm using kind of the collective we here. I haven't been involved in all of these things, or really the vast majority of them, but as, a, as kind of a research group, 
we've made significant contributions to web standards around accessibility. The ideas that we've disseminated and the software that we've disseminated and the fact that we've disseminated them the open with very liberal open licensing has meant that they could be adopted and influential in various contexts. Like Microsoft has done a big pivot in the last couple of years in its design work towards inclusive design, which is explicitly acknowledged to be influenced by ideas that we have propagated. The other thing I think we've been able to do in 25 years is we have evolved. We started out doing work that was focused on accessibility and accessible technology, which is a very big area. And as kind of our thinking as a research group, driven primarily by, by Utah, but also obviously influenced by everyone she was working with, our thinking has evolved into this inclusive design field of practice that takes a lot of inspiration and philosophy from accessible technology and disability studies, but broadens the perspective in various ways and looks at kind of like other dimensions of inclusivity and inequality. It seems clear from the IDRC mission and philosophy that it is focused on what we have come to call community-engaged scholarship. I asked Alan if this was indeed the case. People with disabilities are one of many demographic groups that, historically speaking, are constantly having solutions imposed upon them by people who think they know what's best for them. Uh, in practice, this is usually meant more about what makes non-disabled people feel comfortable about their spaces, their lives, and their societies. So I think it's important to work with people directly to give first-order consideration to their lived experience and to work towards a state of affairs where approaches and solutions, those are really generic terms, but I don't have better ones, are designed together rather than being imposed by an expert class. And I, I think on a personal note of that, as a technologist and a software developer who's, who's interested in kind of like humane deployment of technology, for lack of a better way to put it, which is the opposite of how most technology is deployed these days, it's very important to me that the work that I do is rooted in a consideration of the needs and lives of the people who will use the software. Clearly a central component of the IDRC is the co-design philosophy. The definition of co-design that you get depends a little bit on what you're talking to. One of the terms that got used previously in talking about this is participatory design, which has a, a pretty decent entry on Wikipedia, but like historically speaking, there's a lot of it in Scandinavia uh, in the 60s and the 70s, and that I, I'm particularly in, interested in this part historically because in the 70s there's a lot of research in user participation in systems development in Scandinavia in a, in, in a way that's kind of like very forward thinking for the time, and that involved things sometimes like working directly with labor unions and the design of software that was going to be used in the workplace, which is, you know, you say that in terms of thinking about if you've been in a workplace where technology decisions are made, there, there's a very familiar pattern of how it gets done, which is it's made by a small group with, like, maybe an employee representative who is there often in kind of just a token form, and then there's a bunch of training later on, and everybody has to use the new system, which, in my opinion, we see the outcomes that that leads to with things like the Phoenix payroll system. How it would play out in an ideal is to have people who would use the software as fully empowered members of the team that make it. And I've, I've only heard of that actually kind of being the case in a, in a you know, small number of projects. 
how it often plays out day to day in the work that we do is sometimes it's thinking about things in terms of culture change like we we run things that are you know for projects we'll run things that are workshops workshop style things but we try and run them from a flattened perspective or facilitate them in a certain way and and gather resources and have what's um, we sometimes describe as like a feed forward process where we take the things that we learn from doing co-design exercises and put them forward into the system create issues based on them and then bring them back to the people who raise the ideas and and work through an iterative process like that some of what we're starting to experiment with are ways of doing co-design practice that are distributed in nature that aren't kind of facilitator oriented we're doing that on the inclusive cities project right now it's very early stage work but we're thinking about how do you how do you kind of give people the minimum the minimum amount of kind of like guidance to let them do their own co-design exercises and and let them and i think this is very important feel that they can do that that they're the experts of their own lives rather than a designer in the room or a software developer in the room the plague of expertise is arrogance and believing that you know people's lives better than them and know what's good for them and all kinds of horrible anti-patterns in software development have come out of that out of the arrogance of software developers who believe who because they believe that they're good at simple manipulation and abstract thinking can apply that to people's lives what seems to link community engagement and the co-design philosophy is an activist perspective on their research. I asked Alan if he viewed the work of the IDRC as activism. I would agree that the work that we do is explicitly activist, and part of that is that we live in a world that's really dominated by inequality in a lot of different senses, so it isn't possible to do the kind of work that we do that's focused on inclusive design and inclusive practice and increasing the amount of inclusion in the world without having some activist mentality. I think that activist is has become something of a dirtier problematic word and I think this has happened as part of a campaign and call it a deliberate campaign it may be more complicated by that by various forces around maintaining status quo um, so I don't have a problem personally with that being applied to us I don't believe that a neutral position is possible achievable or desirable in most circumstances so no problem with the word activist that said I think that one of you know going back to that question about how have we survive 25 years i think one of the things we do a really good job of as a research group is being fair in our work which i think is as a different thing from being neutral we're generally willing to open conversations with anyone who's honestly interested in our work and our perspective we're quite pragmatically inclined and we're interested in both immediate improvements and long-term change and it can certainly present complications sometimes in the kind of projects we can do we have to exercise some amount of care in the contracts we sign with our funders one of the guiding aspects of that is that we don't accept under very unusual circumstances do work that requires us not to work in the open in terms of licensing of source code or other work products we've rejected funding offers in the past that required us to do work for hire or produce work that would be kept confidential and that kind of pattern of very deliberate working in the open in terms of like our primary organizing point for all of our work is our wiki which is public our meetings are public that's one of the things that kind of keeps us honest. Given the longevity of the IDRC, 
I was curious about the state of art in inclusive design and their contributions to it. Alan demurred, but described a fundamental contribution through the Global Public Inclusive Infrastructure Project, the GPII. I, I'm not going to be so arrogant to describe our own work as state of the art. A lot of what we're looking at right now is adaptability and, and reconfigurability of systems to people's needs. So one of the one of the projects that I would say has kind of the longest amount of history that we're involved with is the GPII project, the Global Public Inclusive Infrastructure. I describe it sometimes as kind of like a TCP IP stack for accessibility, um, which is to provide like a base layer of services and vocabularies for personalization of systems to people's particular needs. So let's leave off where we started. When we talk about the disability community, that's not a homogenous, a homogeneous body. Um, that's not kind of a group that you can say it's like this or it isn't like this, which is where the, um, the nothing without, about us without us quote is so important to me because if you are building something with someone it's really, really important that they be genuinely involved in the process and that their lived experience be valued. One of the things we talk about sometimes as the ideal uh, in inclusive design, if, if not the thing that is always 100% achievable, is what we call one-to-one -one design or one-to-one -one customization, which is this idea that particularly with digital products, because digital products can be built flexibly, um, they can be changed, they can be modified, by their end users. In the ideal world, everyone would kind of get a solution that they could customize to their particular needs in terms of how it behaves. For more information about the Inclusive Design Research Center, check out their website. They're at idrc.ocadu.ca. And follow them on Twitter, at idrc underscore ocadu. In a future episode, Alan will talk about two specific projects at the IDRC, the Social Justice Repair Kit and the Inclusive Cities Project, which involves sidewalk labs. This has been another episode of So What? The podcast about library and information science research and why it matters. So What? is created and produced by students at the Faculty of Information and Media Studies at Western University in London, Ontario. Find us online at sowhat.fims.uwo.ca. 